Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen and happy Easter, my friends. We are walking and living in the reality of Easter, uh, the power of the resurrection. Resurrection power is moving among us just as it has been doing for two thousand years. And we continue in this season of Easter to focus on the resurrection and to focus on its implications for our lives, our life together. And so we've been talking about the momentum that started uh, when Jesus rose from the grave, still continues to gain ground. And that's what our sermon series is called, is called Momentum. Now, one definition of momentum that I've been bringing up each week is the strength or force gained by motion or by a series of events, like a snowball rolling down a hill, a car on the road, a runner on a path, or like a movement of people or ideas and events that multiply like a wildfire. Strength or force gained by motion or by a series of events. Series of events, and that's what we're doing in this sermon series. We're looking at a series of powerful events, starting with the pinnacle powerful event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Easter. And we're journeying through the book of Acts, and we're seeing the momentum of the early church build, event upon event upon event upon event. And the strength and the force of the resurrection of Jesus we see it in the church starting small, the momentum growing, and over 2,000 years later, here we are, 2.3 billion Christians in the world. And when we have to kind of pause on that and realize that we are part of that momentum, we're the result of it, and I hope and pray that we are a catalyst to keep that momentum going by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as I've been kind of meditating and ruminating over our text for today from Acts chapter 4, I have to admit that it's taken me down a whole bunch of different paths. It's such a powerful and rich uh, biblical text. There's all sorts of different truths and realities in there. And I wish that we could dive into each one of them. But the one thing that struck me in this event in the book of Acts is how we as people relate to the idea of wholeness or the idea of being healthy in contrast to being sick or being weak and the ideas that we throw around in our culture or our language or our actions. Now, some of them are good, some of them are skewed, and some of them are just flat out wrong and stupid, really. I have to admit that I come to this text, though, from my own personal lived experience. Uh, I'm not sure if many of you know this, maybe some of you know, uh, but my father was paralyzed. And he was injured in the service just after he served in the Korean War. And I never knew him not to be paralyzed. And so through life, I have seen things a bit differently when it comes to physical disability. And I, I do know that certain Christians were absolutely, and I would say it's stupid in the way they, they treated him. They were ignorant. Uh, for example, they would say to thing, things to him like, that God would heal him and he could walk again, but only if he had enough faith. And of course, that's destroying to someone's person. If they're not healed, it makes it seem that they don't have enough faith to be healed. And it's usually things are said like that by people who have usually no idea what it means to have a disease or, or a sickness or a disability. And it's usually these sort of people have no ability to think about what it really means to be healthy. What does it mean to be a, a whole human being? What does it mean to bring wholeness, health, and salvation and Jesus to someone's life? 
In fact, it invites a bigger question about what does it actually mean to be healed or to be healthy, to be saved, to be a whole human being here and now and for eternity. Now, there's no way that we could this morning dig in and answer all the questions and deal with all the nuances of all that, but I would like to say that perhaps this morning we, we could build some momentum for us today to see things maybe a bit differently and be used by the Holy Spirit to speak boldly, to think boldly, and to live boldly, to have a bigger and better and godlier understanding of healing, health, salvation, and wholeness. And one, we get to receive that into our lives and personally have it, but just as importantly, we get to bring that to others. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 4, our text today, and it's really a continuation of the text we've been looking at the last couple weeks. And Acts chapter 4 verse 1 says this, if you have your Bibles or your app, you want to open it up, it'll be on the screen as well, uh, but it says this, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. All right, so the religious leadership is struggling with Peter and John and what they are saying. And the text says that they were greatly disturbed. It means that they were annoyed. They were literally just worn down, exasperated. Because the apostles were preaching about the resurrection and Jesus. They were exasperated about the content of the sermon. Most especially that bit about the resurrection of this peasant, criminal, Jesus, the one that they had just killed weeks ago. And the Sadducees, on top of that, they were especially mad at all this resurrection talk since they, as they were strict believers in the Torah, and they said that they kind of rejected this idea of the resurrection. And so what did the religious leaders do? Did they listen? Did they try to figure it out? Were they open to what God might be doing amongst Peter and John and the apostles? No. Verse 3 says, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, listen to this, they put them in jail until the next day, which that seems crazy to us, right? They were imprisoned by religious leaders for preaching religious stuff about Jesus. But the imprisonment, the jailing, it was too late. The word was unleashed. And talk about momentum. Talk about a series of events. Look at verse 4. It says, many who heard the message of Peter and John believed. They came to faith. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000, right? I've never preached a sermon and have 5,000 people come to, to faith, right? And this is actually the men plus their families. It's probably about 20,000 people if you add that in. I mean, that's resurrection power. Then Peter and John spent the night in jail for Jesus. Verse 5 says, the next day, the rulers, the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. So that rulers is like a general term. But the elders and the teachers of the law, more specifically, it refers to something called the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, the Supreme Court, you might say, of Judaism at the time. And additionally, we see that some powerful religious leaders are here at this hearing. Verse 6, it says, Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, that's the son-in-law of Annas, John, Jonathan maybe, might be the successor of Caiaphas, Alexander, we don't know who that guy is, and others of the high priest family. Now, remember, these are the people who had killed Jesus just weeks previously. And these representatives might represent something like 50 years of high priestly leadership for Israel. And in many ways, we are seeing before our eyes in this text a confrontation of leadership. You have this ruling religious elite being confronted by events, big momentum-building events 
and the leaders that are surrounding them like Peter and John. And it appears to be just like this whole early church thing is just steam rolling toward the religious elite like a snowball coming down the hill. Are they going to get out of the way? Are they going to get on board with it? Will they be open to the working of, of the Spirit in a new way to them? Will they be open to hearing what Peter and John are doing and saying? But in verse 7, they had Peter and John brought before them like a trial, and they began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Their question sort of gives us the answer. It seems that they're kind of closed off. They're closed off to God working miraculously, closed off to God working powerfully in Jesus and his apostles. They didn't ask questions like, okay, well, how did this happen? They didn't take a pause and consider, well, what is the meaning of this? Or like a good Lutheran, they didn't ask, what does this mean, right? Instead, they essentially asked, who authorized you to do this thing? And who authorized you to say these things? And so what's going on here? Right? You ever had met people with control issues? Right? This is the religious elite. They are having some control issues. They wanted people to be faithful and prayerful, but to do it under the exclusive banner of the temple and the temple protocols and the things that they have set up, their definition of religion. But what we find again and again in these big events in the early church in the book of Acts that we're looking at in this series was a first century, you might say, pandemic of the Holy Spirit that spread like wildfire, unprecedented a momentum. The followers of Jesus, they could not be contained by the normal channels or regulated by these man-made rules and structures. Verse 8, we see it, Peter, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, Peter, this guy's a fisherman, Blue-collar worker, uneducated, not part of the royal priestly family, not a lot of money, not a lot of connections. The guy who had denied Jesus and cursed him right before the cross, right? The guy who had been paralyzed by doubt, by selfishness, by his own confidence, by his reliance upon his own determination. He had failed utterly, miserably. He disowned Jesus. He disowned the spirit of Jesus. And here now, filled with that same spirit, speaks to the Supreme Court of Judaism. And he didn't have any court-appointed attorney to represent him. He had the Holy Spirit with him. And he says, if we, in verse 9, are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, probably not the best translation, a man who was sick or weakened or disabled, and if we are being asked how he was healed. Now, that word in Greek is saved. I'm going to come back to it in a second. But we're going to pause on this verse here because we have to explain it first. Peter is bringing up that it's not just about his preaching that they're upset with him, but it's about the miracle of healing the man who was paralyzed. They're upset about that healing, that miracle that set up his preaching. The miracle gathered the attention of all these people, so much so that the people were like, well, we've got to really listen to what this guy, he just healed a man. This man who couldn't walk is now walking. Listen to what he's saying. And they listened like they never listened before, and they came to faith in Jesus. And so Peter addresses that. He says, this was an act of kindness. And in a more Greek official term, it was a benefaction. 
It was sort of a public offering, a public service offered to a city. And so Peter is sort of saying, maybe you guys should be a little more thankful for what I've done in this healing rather than bringing me up on some sort of criminal charges. But he also adds that this man had been healed, in the Greek, saved. This man had been saved. The actual word there behind healed is saved. And we see that this word has a very broad meaning, that it has physical and spiritual and social dimensions to it. And so Peter warns the Sanhedrin that his actions on behalf of the sick man, the weakened man in the temple, in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, the Nazarene, that his actions have world-shattering implications. So what kind of healing did the man actually receive? The healing was far more than just mere physical healing. Perhaps more importantly were the spiritual and social aspects. If you look in chapter 3, it talks about how the man had faith in Jesus. It talks about how he held on to Peter and John. He was saved. Salvation had come to him in, in Jesus. And at the root of that word salvation, the Old Testament is the word shalom, which means peace. Which means peace with God and peace with each other, relationship restored. The man was sick, he was weak, but his physical limitations were not his big problem. His big problem, just like Peter and John, just like the religious leaders, just like you and me, the big problem is sin. It's a broken relationship with God and his people. The physical healing of this man, it helped grab the people's attention so that they could really hear about being truly whole, truly healed, truly forgiven, having faith and trust, truly being saved. And Peter continues in verse 10. He says, know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name or the authority or the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. It is by his name that this man stands before you healed. Back before the cross, before the crucifixion, Peter had been paralyzed. Paralyzed by fear and by selfishness, so much so that his relationship with God, with Jesus, he abandoned it. Yet Jesus did not abandon him. Jesus healed Peter, not physically, but spiritually, relationally, restored his relationship with Peter and restored Peter to the other disciples, restored Peter to his mission in life. You see, Peter and John and all the apostles had been healed, had been saved, had been made whole by Jesus so that they could heal, that they could save, that they could bring wholeness and healthiness to others, far more than just mere physical healing. That's why Peter was able to speak so boldly and courageously, right? He had denied Jesus, cursed him. And now here before the Jewish Supreme Court is indicting them. He says this in verse 11, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. They were challenging his authority, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, turns it back on them, challenges them, calls them to the carpet. I mean, this is a momentum-building event. And Peter just keeps going. In verse 12, he says, salvation 
healing, preservation, deliverance, wholeness. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name, power, authority under heaven given to mankind by which we must be healed, saved. Same exact word used to describe the beggar who had been healed, saved. It's a powerful text. And when we look at this text today, we think of healing, even physical disabilities. When we think of what it means to be healthy or a whole human being, we might ask ourselves the question, who in the text was the sickest, the weakest, the most infirm? Who needed healing and salvation and wholeness the most? Because I have to admit, some of the most healthy people, the most whole people, the most gospel-minded people that I've ever met and been in relationship, people in whose presence that I feel healed, have been those with physical disabilities, have been those who are paralyzed, who have been those living with cancer, who are those who have been sometimes pushed onto the margins because of their physical limitations. But many times I've seen them to be some of the closest people to God. I recently spoke with uh, a friend who, from a physical perspective, needs healing. But spiritually, socially, their faith is stronger than most people I know and the healing that they bring to others is unmatchable. Why? Why? Because they understand pain. They understand suffering. They understand hurt. They understand societal scorn. And they've found, despite all of that, they have found healing. They have found salvation in Jesus. They're able to bring that healing that salvation to others because they know it intimately. You see, the sickest and the weakest and the most infirm people in our text today are ironically the quote-unquote healthy religious leaders. These spiritual representatives of Judaism at the time, the high priestly ruling family in class, yet they were completely blind to the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus, in Peter, in John, in this man that was healed before them. They were paralyzed by their pursuit of power over truth. They were deaf to the words of the prophets and could not hear the truth of their own scriptures. The disease of sin had spread throughout their entire being. But the most painful part about it, they were unwilling to listen to the doctor. They were unwilling to read the lab reports. They were unwilling to admit that they were sick. And because of that, they are unwilling to be healed, unwilling to be saved, unwilling to receive the gift of salvation. Remember when Jesus said these words in Luke chapter 5? Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Peter and John were healed in order to heal. They were saved in order to save. And that is you, my friends. You have been 
healed in order to bring healing to others. You have been saved to bring salvation to others. And I pray that we fall in line with Peter and John and the saved man and that we're careful not to be like the dishonest and diseased religious elite. I pray that we as a church fall in line with the healing momentum of the Spirit. Because Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said salvation healing is found in no one else for there is no other name authority power under heaven given to mankind by which we must be healed saved Jesus amen let's stand together as followers of Jesus in whom we have received salvation and ultimate healing we confess our faith not only in Jesus but in Father Son and Holy Spirit